Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. I don't know what I am. You can just call me brother if you want. Yeah. tell you that God loves us. I mean, it says God is love. It doesn't say God is faithful, though he is faithful. And it doesn't say that God is joyful, although he is filled with joy. I mean, but in in, uh, 1 John 4, verses 8 and 16, it says God is love. That's the way that he describes himself. And, um, And his love is unfathomable. I mean, he's not looking at our weaknesses. He's not looking at our failures. He's not looking to, um, to catch us up on something that we, you know, mess up on. God is just looking with eyes of love. I mean, um, what do eyes of love look like? I mean, they're watery, you know. They're longing to see our best. They're never looking to, for our failures. I mean, love is, um, if you love your children, you're not hoping that they mess up so that you can say, look what you've done. You're always looking for everything that they do well. And then you encourage them and say, look at what you've done. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. That's what love is. Um, I just want to, since there's this Israeli flag here, I just want to tell you just a tiny bit. I'm no expert. But first of all, there's the Star of David. I mean, if you think of the Star of David, David lived 3,000 years ago. And, um, and that symbol has been a symbol for 3,000 years. And the second thing I want to say is this is pattern after the talit, which is the prayer shawl that, you know, Jewish people wrap around themselves. And um, Israel was a nation that should not be alive except, except for the covenant of God. I mean, when God makes a covenant, it's an everlasting covenant. And... Um, and that's why we can feel very secure because God is not a covenant breaker. Once he makes promises, those promises are better than gold, better than anything. And the Jewish people through the years, I mean, they didn't have a nation. Um, the last time they were truly independent was before they went to Babylon. I mean, they did have, there was a restoration with the Hasmonians, you know, the story of Hanukkah. But they didn't have a nation, but God promised. And if you look in, I believe it's um, Ezekiel 37, he says that there's going to be a rebirth of Israel. That's what the Valley of Dry Bones is, the rebirth of Israel. And they're not reborn because they're more special than we are. It's just a promise of God. And you can take God's promises to the bank. This is, I want to tell you about Purim, really, because um, Purim is a Jewish holiday. It's celebrated every year. It's not one of the seven holidays of God that are listed. Really, there's eight holidays of God listed in um, Leviticus 23. The first one is, um, is Shabbat, and then, you know, and then there's Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and um, the, the Feast of Fruits, you know, the first fruits, and then there's... Um, you know, there's uh, Shavuot, which is Pentecost, and there's Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Um, this is a later holiday, and it's really a testimony of God's faithfulness and goodness. But I want to introduce it, and then I want to summarize the book of Esther, because Purim is all about, it's a testimony, and the testimony is the book of Esther, and at Purim, the book of Esther is always read in its entirety, 10 chapters. I'm not going to read 10 chapters to you. <laughs> so I've, I've summarized, I've summarized. And the, um, the summary is only 15 minutes or, or maybe 20 minutes. 
Um, so, so what they were going to do in Persia, so it, as you remember, I mean, first the Jews were, um, were brought out of Israel, you know, in the book of um, Jeremiah, and they were brought to Babylonia. And in Babylonia, um, you know, Ezekiel was trying to get the Jewish people to repent because they were taken out because of disobedience. And then while they were in Babylonia, you know, this young man arose who was selected called the prophet Daniel. And Daniel served a number of kings, you know. When, when the son of Nebuchadnezzar was found drinking just wine and, and getting drunk out of the royal cup, you know, the golden cups that, that were part of the temple, that's when there was the writing on the wall. And, and then Daniel said this very night, this is, you know, that tiki-taki, I mean, the writing on the wall. Um, you know, it said that this night the kingdom is going to be seized from you. And so it was seized, and the Medes-Persians took over. And, um, and when the Persians took over, you know, it was only supposed to be 70 years in Babylonia, and there were, you know, the succession of kings then the first king of Persia was Cyrus. And, um, and Cyrus was the one who allowed Nehemiah to go back. When Nehemiah went back and he started building the temple, on the, on the year, on the day that he started building that temple, it started a succession because in the book of Daniel, there's, there's, it talks about 69 sevens and then the final week. And the 69.7 started on the, on the date that Nehemiah started building this temple, you know. And, and those 69.7 later, which was 483 years, was the day that Jesus announced that this prophecy in, in Isaiah 50, 61 is fulfilled at this time. So it's a, perfect, it's a perfect countdown because God is, when he speaks, when he creates a prophecy, I mean, it comes to pass. This, the 70th week is, of course, the tribulation. This tribulation is not meant for Christians because we're going to be taken up. It's meant for the Jews because there's promises to the Jews that, they, that all Israel is going to be saved. And that tribulation is a time, um, time when the people of Israel come to the end of themselves because all the nations will come. And nobody will support Israel. The, the uh, regime of the Antichrist and his allies um, will come against Israel. The United States will not be on her side. And so Israel will be alone, and yet she won't be defeated because God is her savior. God will come with the, I want to tell you that, oh my gosh, I just want to tell you that in the time of Egypt, in the time of Egypt, there were mighty miracles and those mighty miracles were the 10 plagues. And another, you know, mighty miracle after the 10th plague was when God, with a cloud of fire, blocked the Egyptians so that he could divide the Red Sea by the, um, you know, with the um, staff of Moses. And they went across, and that was a miracle too. That was a great miracle. These miracles were so terrifying to the nations that Rahab, when she heard about that, she said, I'm on your side. I'm not on my side. I'm on your side. But I want to tell you that the miracles that happened during the tribulation will be just as great as anything that ever happened in Egypt. God is going to glorify himself. And finally, the people will humble themselves enough to say, oh, my gosh, we're wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Lord of glory. He is our Savior. And that's when all Israel gets saved. Um, I wasn't going to say all this, but I want to tell you that um, it's God's goodness. It's just we cannot put a damper on the faithfulness and the goodness of God. You know, the Jews, I have listed all these genocides. I mean, Pharaoh tried to kill all the babies, the male babies, you know, um, when the, Israel, when the Israelites left Egypt, um, 
they were confronted by the Amalekites, but the Amalekites, even though they were men of war, they could not destroy the Israelites because here was Moses, and Hur lifted one hand, and Joseph, I mean, um, not Joseph, but um, Joshua lifted the other, and while the hands were lifted in praise to God, you know, asking him for his help, then the Israelites, who were, had been slaves, they weren't men of war, but they were able to destroy the Amalekites. King Hezekiah came, and there was a vast army. They were the Assyrians. And in 2 Kings 18, God made a mighty deliverance. And King Jehoshaphat was confronted by a huge army of the, of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and Mount Seir, which are the people of Edom, you know, Esau's descendants. 2 Chronicles 20, he sent the worshipers out front <laughs> and they didn't have to fight the battle because, because these armies, they fought each other. They destroyed each other. The, the Israelites came out in the morning and they were all gone and all they had to do was collect booty. And then came the Hasmonites, you know, Hasmonians, Hanukkah. And uh, they, they threw the, the, the king, Antiochus Epiphanes, he threw the pig's blood in the temple you know, he put, the, he erected the temple of Zeus. He did everything, and he was a mighty man. I mean, he was, it was a mighty nation. But God saved them because God loved them. And then the Romans, I mean, they, um, not only did they knock down the temple in, in 70 AD, but also they forced every Jew out of the country, I think in 133 or something, and... Um, you know, they, the Jews thought that they had their Messiah, and, and Rabbi Akiba said, oh, yes, he's the, but they did not win because, um, so, so anyway, um, my own relatives were forced out of Russia in the Pale of Settlement in the late 1800s, and the Germans, you know, did what they did. But I want to tell you that um, God has preserved a remnant because um, because it's his intention. Um, well, he's he's created prophecy. He's he's people. I could go on, but um, you know, uh, three times, three times in the Bible, there was a um, the Jews were in a foreign land, and three different times, a person was risen up and was made number two to the king. Because Joseph, he wasn't rebellious. He didn't lead some armed revolt. He was just a, a, a man of God. And, um, and so God favored him. And because he gave glory to God, then God gave glory to him. And he lifted him up to, you know, second to Pharaoh. And the same thing with Daniel. You know, Daniel was not a rebel. He was not angry. He was not trying to, you know, um, when God brought the Jewish people into Babylonia in um, Jeremiah 29, he says, he didn't say start making war. He says, plant your vineyards, have your children, build your houses, build up the city to which, and, and that's what Joseph did. And that's what Daniel did, and that's also what Mordecai did in the book of Esther. You know, they were, um, they put their trust not in their might, not in their weapons, but they put their trust in God who's able to save those, you know, when they trust. Um, so God, God is our savior. God never asks us to be our own savior. He's our own savior, and he gives favor to the humble and to the upright, and he's pleased with our faithfulness. So, um, so in this book of Esther, um, we see the pride of a king. What does this king do? Well, he's, first of all, he creates this big banquet. You know, this, this is an enormous kingdom, 127 provinces, stretching all the way from India to Ethiopia. I mean, that's a big chunk of Asia, and it's also a big, big chunk of Africa. 
And, um, and the king wanted to have a party, and he wanted to show off how rich he was. He wanted to show off how powerful he was. He wanted to show off how regal he was. And he brought his wife, um, Vish, sorry, Vashti, thank you, Vashti. He brought his wife, Vashti, and he wanted to show her off. And uh, she looked at this crowd of military officers and she was humiliated. She decided she was not gonna be shown off. And, um, and so what did, what did um, King Ahasuerus do? He said, well, if you won't obey me, then perhaps it will be an example and nobody else will, no, none of these wives will obey their husbands and then they'll be rebellious. And, and so he, um, he divorced her and uh, we'll show these women, you know. <laughs> so anyway, that's not God's view of things. That is not God's view of things. God, um, God loves women. God, God loves them as much as the men. God, um, you know, it's, it's um, God loves us. So anyway, I'm going to go uh, chapter by chapter, really short, just like two or three um, verses. Um, in, in chapter one, the book of uh, Esther opens with King Ahasuerus, who reigned, like I said, from India to, to uh, Ethiopia. Um, he displayed his riches. Uh, he got drunk, you know, Queen Vashti refused to be displayed and humiliated, and so the king divorced. And then in chapter two, Esther's parents had both died, and Mordecai said, listen, you're my niece, and I'm gonna raise you as my own daughter. You know, so that was a, a good thing that he did. And then the king, they made a search, they found to look for a new queen, and, um, and she was, Esther was found, and she was both beautiful and she was a virgin, which was a requirement. And so he chose to marry her, excuse me, and, um, and he showed kindness to her. She did not reveal to anybody that she was Jewish because Mordecai said, don't do it. And um, he was sitting at the royal pit, and, and I wanna say this, um, now we're thinking, you know, who wouldn't want to be queen? You know, who wouldn't want to rise up and be the queen? Um, but she was Jewish. There was no church at the time, and it was an unequal marriage. She knew that he wasn't a believer, that he didn't believe in God. No, he believed in himself. And she would, so it was a sacrifice on her part to do this. And then... Um, so also in this chapter two, um, Mordecai was at the gate and there were a couple um, soldiers, I think. I don't think they were eunuchs, <laughs> I think they were soldiers. And they were planning to destroy the king. They were planning to kill him, you know. I mean, he did have some enemies. And, um, but Mordecai overheard and then he told Esther, you know, his niece, and then she told the king and then they destroyed these two, um, you know, they hang these two uh, rebels and, um, and they wrote it down in the, in the book of the King's Chronicles. And that's the end of chapter two. In chapter three, um, we have King Ahasuerus and he honors Haman, who was, who yes, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. And I want to tell you about this. The Agagite is very important because um, when Esau died, you know, there was Jacob and Esau much earlier. Esau hated Jacob because he stole the birthright and he stole the blessing. The third generation from Esau was Amalek. And it was the son of the Amalekites who carried this bitterness in their hearts all through the years. Now they were defeated by Moses, I mean by, um, you know, at the time of Moses, but they were, then they were really defeated when God had commanded Saul to destroy the Amalekites. But anyway, um, so the last Amalekite was the king. And, and Samuel comes and says, 
what is this baying of sheep? And, and what is this man? You kept this king alive and you killed the others, but you kept this man alive. Well, this man's name was Agag, King Agag. So Samuel himself took his sword and killed Agag. And, um, but they say, well, if he was the only one left, then why were there Agagites after him? And, and the, you know, what they've thought is that that last night he was able to impregnate a woman and uh, and so there were descendants and those descendants were surviving and and Haman was one of the descendants. But anyway, um, so the king, Ahasuerus, wanted promoted Haman and his authority, you know, he gave, you know, all these officials under him and then he ordered all the all who were at the king's gates to bow down to Haman. But Mordecai refused because he was a Jew. Is it because Jews are rebels? No. <laughs> it's because Jews don't worship Haman. They worship God Almighty, El Shaddai. Amen. And so out of, so this kind of reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We will not bow the knee to a man or to a false god. Haman was enraged. He decided to kill not only the Mor Mordecai, but all the Jews of the empire. And Haman decided to annihilate, kill, and destroy all the Jews. Now, this reminds me of John 10.10, which it says that, that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. This annihilate, kill, and destroy, I mean, he was demonized. He was demonized. He was filled with hatred. So he went to kill both the young and the old, the, the women and the children, all in a single day on the 13th and 14th day of the month of Adar. And he persuaded the king, and then he sent envoys throughout the kingdom with the orders which they you know, posted in all these cities. Now, because Mark asked about Adar, I, I'm not an expert on Adar. All I can tell you is that there's 12 months 12 lunar months in the Jewish calendar. Adar is the last month, it's the 12th month. And, um, and because they use a lunar calendar instead of the solar calendar, then it means that every day is gonna be 28 days or something like that. And so every four years, instead of having a leap day, they have a leap month, which is second Adar. And because of, you know, because of this adjustment, that's why holidays like Hanukkah, you know, for, you know, now it's like the first week of the year and then first week of December, then it's the second and then the third and then the fourth, and then it goes back to the first. And, it, you know, that's the way it works with second Adar. Um, in the fourth chapter, when, when um, the Jews are in every city, they tear their clothes, they put on put on sackcloth in mourning, and Esther says, ask, sends a servant to ask Mordecai why. And then Mordecai gives her, through this person, a copy of this order, and of course she's shocked, you know. So she sent to Mordecai, and, she, and Mordecai says to her, you got to persuade the king. You have to do it. You're the queen, and you have to persuade the king. And then she sends a message to Mordecai saying that unless he raises that golden scepter, she's going to be put to death because he has not summoned her in an entire month. And then Mordecai says to the servant, and these are his exact words, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place. How did he have that confidence? It's because he believed God. Because all the um, prophecy of it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had not yet been fulfilled. But he had, you know, here was an opportunity. It says, and you and your father's house will perish and who knows whether you have not obtained royalty for such a time as this. So she obtained royalty to be able to persuade. 
And this is what I want to say, that we have obtained royalty because we are a royal priesthood and we were born for this time. And the work that God has for us to do, it's for us to do. I mean, we have obtained royalty for this time in order to spread the gospel, in order to be intercessors, in order to live for Jesus, in order to do the work of God on this earth. Um, Esther resolved to see the king. She said, if I perish, I perish. You know, it's like she was willing to be a martyr because she trusted God. She asked that all the Jews of Susa and her attendants pray and fast for three days. Now, I want to say that the, the name God is not mentioned in this book. Every other book it's mentioned. But who are they praying to? And who are they fasting to? And who is, you know, who is uh, Mordecai refusing? You know, I mean, it's all about God. This is a, a book about God. In the fifth chapter, it says, on the third day of Esther's fast, she came, she came before the king. She lifted up the golden scepters so that she wouldn't die. He lifted it up, rather. And Esther invited her husband, the king, and, bank, and Haman to a banquet. At the banquet, she invited both of them to a second banquet. Now, Haman, you know, as important as he thought he was, he was gloating in pride to his wife, Zeresh. And then Haman told them of the glory of his riches, not of God's riches, Haman's riches, and of his many sons, that's Haman's sons. And every occasion which God, I mean, which king honored himself and how he had promoted been promoted above all the officials and servants of the kingdom. And Haman also said, even Esther the queen, let no one except me with the king to the banquet which she had prepared. And tomorrow I, <laughs> I am invited to by her to the king. Well, I want to tell you, you know, it used to be when I used to go to church at this place called Shiloh Fellowship. We were told that sin was spelled small s, big I, small n. That sin is really about selfishness, that big I right in the middle of sin. And that's what Haman was. And Zeresh said to Haman, why don't you build a hundred foot tall gallow for Mordecai? And he said, hmm, that's a pretty good idea. So he did. Then we get to chapter 6. It says, one night the king couldn't sleep. He had the books of the king's chronicles read to him. And then he asked Mo if Mordecai the Jew had ever been honored for saving his life. And they said, nope. And then Haman entered the room. He, he, the king didn't even raise a royal scepter or anything. He entered the room to ask the, king, to ask the king's permission to hang Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. Before he could even speak, before any words came out of Haman's mouth, the king instead asked Haman, what is to be done for the man whom the king desires to honor? And Haman thought to himself, who would the king desire to honor more than me? Moi. Moi. Um, so Haman replied, have him ride on the king's horse and wear the king's robes and have one of the king's officials leading him through the city crying out, so is a man blessed whom the king desires to honor. And the king was delighted and he said, you do this for Mordecai. <laughs> well, that was a bubble burst. <laughs> so Mordecai wore the royal robes, he rode the royal horse, well, Haman was required to shout his honor throughout the city. That was a humiliation. That was a humiliation. Then, then Mordecai returned to the king's gates while Haman returned home, and he was mourning, and he had his head covered. He didn't want anyone to see his face. And Haman informed Zeresh, his wife, and all the friends of everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men... 
and Zeresh, his wife, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish origin, you will not prevail over him, but will certainly fall before him. So why did he say that? Why the Jews? Why the Jews? Well, it's not because, you know, they go like this. You know, I mean, all these prayers. It's, it's because... It's because they had a kingdom. I mean, the, there, was, there was no church. You know, they were the reflection of God on this earth. I mean, it took a sacrifice, but they were the reflection. You know, there's a difficult part if you don't do this and don't do that. Then, but, but there's also an honor and a glory of, um, of being God's children on this earth. And I want to say that... Um, the church, you know, in 2 Thessalonians, we're called the resistor. We're called the resistor because the church filled with the Holy Spirit is able through our prayers and through our presence being our, a salt and light on this earth are able to hold back the wicked schemes of the enemy. That's our function. And that's what Israel was doing. They were like salt and light on this earth. So... Um, so anyway, um, we're at. So while they were still talking, um, then the king's eunuchs arrived, eunuchs, and quickly brought Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And at the banquet, Queen Esther gave to the uh, for the king and Haman. Sh um, she. Well, what she did was she invited them to a second banquet. And then when the second banquet, and it was just the king and Haman, at the banquet she, um, she revealed Haman's evil plot. So then Queen Esther said, If I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me as a request and my people as my wish. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed and killed and eliminated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have uh, kept silent. So she would have, if it was only slavery, okay, but not to be destroyed and eliminated. Because the distress, she would have been would not have been sufficient reason to burden the king so she was um she was highly respectful of the king and her husband and then king ahasuerus asked the queen he said not a nice voice a mean voice who is he where is he who would presume to do such a thing and esther said a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. <laughs> then this Haman became terrified before the king and the queen, and the king ordered that Haman be hanged on the very gallows that Haman had built for Mordecai. That reminds me of that verse that says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I think that's in um, Romans 12. When we get to chapter 8, and there's only 10 chapters, um, Queen Esther pleads with King Ahasuerus for the safety of all her people in the distant cities. The king gave the Jews the right to defend themselves. He sealed the decree with the king's signet ring. He sent the letters by couriers on horses, riding on a royal relay, relay horses, offspring of racing mares. In other words, as fast as the message could go. I mean, that's what the king did. And in the letters, the king granted the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble, to defend their lives, to, to, kill, to kill and to eliminate an entire army of any people or province who was going to attack them, including children and women and plunder their spoils. Okay, so the Jews, I mean, the, their crime, they were going to be killed for their, for 
for bowing to God instead of to men, you know. But these people were going to be killed because um, because they were trying to kill them. I mean, it's a it was you know it's a a different motivation. Um, obvious. And then it says Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in a royal robe of vi violet and white with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen, purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. So I just want to point this out because it was Haman who wanted to go out with, with a royal robe of a violet and white and large crown of gold and a garment of linen and purple. He wanted it. Mordecai was willing to stay at the city gate and even though he was supporting the king, he was expecting nothing, you know. It turned out that Mordecai got what Haman had wanted. It says, for the Jews there was light jubilation honor and in each of the province and each of the cities, wherever the king's commandment and his decrees arrived, there was joy and jubilation for the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And among the peoples of the land, many became Jews. In our day, it would be like people wanting to, you know, become followers of Jesus, you know because the dread of the Jews had fallen upon them. In other words, there was, um, there was an evidence of the love of God for them and the power of God for them. In chapter 9, it says, Those who sought to eliminate, annihilate the Jews were ready, but God gave favor to his people. And even all the officials of the kingdoms, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business were supporting the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen upon them, for Mordecai was great in the king's house. And the news about him spread throughout the provinces, for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. So the Jews struck on all their enemies, the sword killing and destroying, and they did as they pleased to those who hated them. And they took their revenge on Adar 13 and 14. I mean, two days in the, you know, the first month of Adar. They rested on the 15th day, and the day, 15th day, and made it a day of fasting and rejoicing. It says that this, the 10 sons of Haman were also hanged on Haman's gallows in Susa. Now, we don't rejoice that these 10 sons were hanged. I mean, we don't. It seems like everything that Haman wanted, all the things that he bragged about, they were all taken away from him. Um, but, you know, we don't, I mean, God is not wanting to destroy people. And the people of God don't want to destroy people. We want to see people saved. Now, it says that under Mordecai and Esther's direction, Purim was established as a day of remembrance and of rejoicing. Now, I want to say that this book of Esther really is a testimony of God's salvation. And Mordecai and Esther were smart enough to say we have to remember this and we need to remember it through we need to keep rehearsing keep remembering keep referring to this testimony of when god did great things and i want to say that we need a testimony each of us need a testimony and i was think because they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony and not loving their lives and I thought, well, what is a testimony? And I'm thinking there's two kinds of testimonies. You know, one kind of testimony is, um, is who we are in Christ. Who does God say we are? We can testify of who God says we are. Another kind of testimony is what has God actually done at key junctures of our life that reflect both his love and his power for us? How, you know, I was in trouble but God saved, saved me, and let me tell you how. Or, or I was, you know, I was um, not a believer, and then I became a believer. And what is my salvation testimony? 
and we can have various testimonies, you know. Um, but we should be ready in season and out of season to explain the hope that's within us. Um, this is the last uh, piece. It says, uh, For Mordecai the Jew was second only to the king Ahasuerus, great among the Jews in favor of with many kinsmen who sought the good of the people of his people and the one who spoke for the welfare of the entire nation. In contrast to Haman, Haman was looking for number one. He was looking to be honored. He was looking to be rich. He was looking to be rid of his enemies. He was Mordecai was looking out for the welfare of the king. He was of the nation and, and for his own people. And that's what it testifies, you know, in, in the last chapter. Okay. So we're going to do something slightly different here. I, think, I don't think we've ever done this in this church since I've been here. Um, I want to tell you that um, that poor, a Purim party involves at least three things. One thing that it involves is costumes, and I'm not used to like wearing costumes, so I wore my Africa shirt, <laughs> and um, it's the best I could do. I'm sorry, it's the best I could do. And um, I was privileged once as part of Trinity Church to, um, because I had a compassion daughter there, um, to go on one of the trips with Tom and Karen Jones. And, uh, and when I was there, I got a shirt um, and a big smile from my compassion child. Um, but anyway, um, so that's part of it. Another part of it is home intention. I mean, which is a pastry that's eaten, which is, I think there's three corners, but I didn't, I don't have any home intention for you. I'm sorry. But the, the third of it is, is, um, is that when at a Purim party, you read the, you know, this Megillah, 10 chapters, and when you, um, when you see Haman's name, you say, boo, boo Haman, down with Haman. You know, when you see Mordecai, go Mordecai, go. <laughs> so anyway, um, I have these I have these grinders, which is for the Haman side, which I'm going to pass out or have somebody pass out. Okay, we need noise. Noise! Louder, louder, louder! Yay! <laughs> Practice! <laughs> Boo, Haman! <laughs> Ooh! <laughs> okay, so we've got the PowerPoints. We're going to just go um, like verse by verse, sort of, and, uh, and see what we can do here. It says... The first one, uh, chapter 3, 1 and 2. Okay. It says, after these events, King Ahasuerus honored Haman. Oh, boo. <laughs> the son of Hamadatha the Agagite. He promotes him and establishes his authority over all the officials who were with him. 
All the king's servants who were in the king's gates bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded regarding him, but Mordecai, go Mordecai, yes, 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 neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and he gave it to Haman. (laughs) Okay, 413. Then Mordecai, yay, Mordecai, (laughs) yow, went out from the presence of the king in a royal robe of violet and, and white with a large crown, a garment of fine Linen and purple, the city of Susa shouted rejoice and told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the other kings choose. For if you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will come, rise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you've not obtained royalty for such a time as this. It says, yet all this did not satisfy me every time I see Mordecai, (laughs) the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you can clap, you can whistle, you can stomp your feet if you want. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> it says, um, okay, so, uh, okay, so every time we see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate, then Zeresh, his wife, and his friends said to him, have a wooden gallows, 50 cubits. By the way, 50 cubits is one foot nine inches. So, I mean, just for your information. Um <laughs> 50 cubits high, and and in the morning asked the king to have Mordecai. Yay! um, Hanged on it. And then go joyfully with the king to to the banquet. And the the advice pleased Haman. So he had the wooden gallows built. In six, six, one through three. During that night, the king gave an order to bring the book of records, the chronicles, and it was found written that Mordecai, yay, yes, 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 um, had reported about Bigthana and Teresh that they had sought to attack King Ahasuerus. And then the king said, what honor or dignity has been dis- bestowed on Mordecai? Yay! <laughs> for this. And the king's servants who attended said, nothing has been done for him. Uh, chapter 6, 10 through 11. Then the king said to Haman, <laughs> quickly, take the robe and the horse, just as you've said, and do so for Mordecai. Yay! (laughs) For the Jew who was sitting on the king's gate, do not fail to do anything at all that you have said. So Haman took the robe and the horse and dressed Mordecai. Yay! And led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, so it shall be done for the man whom the king desires to honor. I want to say that we, that the king desires to honor us. Not just Mordecai. He got, you know, anyway. Um, chapter 614, while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly brought Haman <laughs> to the banquet which Esther had prepared. And then Queen Esther replied, let my life be given to me as a request and my people is my wish for we have been sold, I and my people, to to 
be destroyed, killed, and eliminated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have kept silent. In chapter 7, 5, and 6, then King Ahasuerus asked Esther, who is he and where is he that would presume to do such a thing? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Yes. Then Haman <laughs> became, became terrified before the king and the queen. And 7, 9, and 10, it says, um, Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs who stood before the king, said, Indeed, behold, the wooden gallows standing at Haman's <laughs> house 50 feet high, which Haman made for Mordecai. <laughs> you guys are pretty good at this. <laughs> Who's, who spoke good on behalf of the king. The king said, hang on it, hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the widow ga wooden gallows which he had prepared for Mordecai. And the king's anger subsided. Then, and this is 8.15, chapter 8.15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in a royal robe of violet and white with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple and the city of Susa was rejoiced and shouted. Sorry. Okay, now we're going to change tactic here because I want to say something about humility. Um, so this is a wonderful church. And, um, and in the wisdom that God gave to um, Stephanie and Laura and, and the leadership team here. Uh, one of the core values of the church that's recorded in um, our website is the value of humility. And um, God honors humility. I want to tell you that God honors humility. Um, he doesn't like pride. He doesn't like arrogance, you know. So... Um, so this is what our website says. It says that members of Shekinah International Leadership walk in humility. All attitudes of self-promotion, desire for title, name or fame or other agendas have been laid down at the foot of the cross by those in the network. This is wisdom. This is, you know, this is one of the reasons why God honors this church. And then, you know, a verse that came to mind was in Philippians 2.6. It, it, you know, Jesus was, I mean, Paul described, described Jesus as, um, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, Jesus was God. He is God. Sorry, <laughs> he is God. But um, he came as a baby. He was spanked maybe when he was, you know, or whatever. I mean, he was, uh, he was exposed to the, to the epithets of men. They tried to push him off a cliff, you know. They tried to kill him. He went through all this stuff, and yet he was willing to, to do that for us. And when, when he was, um, when he was uh, whipped, you know, um, I mean, who had the right to whip the Son of God? Who, what human had the right to whip him and to tear into his flesh? None of us have that right, you know. And when he went to the cross, he lost everything. I mean, he, I mean, I mean, he was, um, he was in pain, of course. He was on public display, and uh, he wore this crown of thorns instead of a crown of gold or a crown, you know. Um, he was, uh, they divided up his clothes on the ground. It was, you know, all these things. He became sin and sickness and everything else. And Jesus was willing to be so, um, you know, he didn't even have his own tomb. You know, he was willing to be so humbled, so humiliated, because he was, he didn't come as a, I am the king, so bow down before me. I mean, I mean, there were the lepers, they bowed 
The one leopard bowed before him, but Jesus did not require it. So anyway, um, I want to say that um, this book, you know, more than any other contrasts, living in pride versus living in humility. And the one who lived in pride was the one who was put down. And the one who lived in humility was the one that was honored. And James 4, 6 says it succinctly. It says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I mean, that's, um, you know, that's true with Mordecai and Haman. Of course, it's true with each one of us. And 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in the proper time. And at Shiloh, we used to s sing this song about humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up higher and higher. Um, you know, I used to sing that song so many years ago, and this is really one of my big-time life verses. You know, we don't know when God will do what God will do, but we know that if we're obedient to God, if we live according to his word, you know, if we, um, I mean, obedience is not pride. Obedience says, well, <laughs> you know, I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to do what you s I want to tell you, if we are self-willed, then what we do is we distort the world's image of God. We distort his image. I want to say that Jesus, because Jesus was the perfect mirror, then we know what the Father is like. Moses was very obedient. I mean, he was disobedient when he struck the, the, um, the rock twice, and God said, well, you can't go into the land because you struck it twice. And but, but he was very obedient, and so he reflected. I mean, you know, people could rely upon those words in the, in the five books of Moses, those laws, because, because he was obedient. People could trust what was said, and it was a reflection of God wanted to do. And, and of course, through those laws, God was really pointing to Jesus. But we have to do the same. When God speaks to us, we humble ourselves, we obey, we obey his word, we believe his word, we trust in God, you know, we get, allow God to take revenge, and then people are seeing who Jesus is. They're not saying, oh, they're another hypocrite, you know, they're another one who dishonors. Instead, they're saying, you know, we see the, the uh, we see who Jesus is in you and through you, through your words, through your actions. That's what we want to do. That's the way that, that we honor God. And God will honor us at the proper time. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. God will exalt us. In this earth, we have some exaltation, but we're busy storing treasures up in heaven. And, um, and remember what... Remember in Luke when it when there was a man who talked to the three servants with the minas, he said, "You've earned two more, or you've earned five more, and you'll be you know ruling four cities, or you'll be ruling ten cities." That ruling is in heaven when we rule and reign with Christ, you know. So anyway. Um, this is, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. Um, Isaiah 66, 2, the second half of it. This is the one that I will esteem, but he who is humble and contrite of heart and who trembles at my word. Humility is, is the willingness to let God call the shots. You know, but it doesn't mean that that we're just, you know, servants in the dirt, you know, scraping with a toothbrush or something. It's, I mean, I mean, hum I mean, Moses was humble and Jesus was humble, and um, it just means that we're we're willing to allow God call the shots so that we can 
we can resemble his glory. We can resemble his personality in this earth. And to be contrite of heart means that we're willing to be teachable. You know, we look at the Pharisees who say, well, what were they thinking? I mean, Jesus was doing all the great miracles. The wisdom and the authority that he had was wowing the people, you know. And um, Jesus was fulfilling 300 prophecies while on the earth. You know, and, and these Pharisees, you know, were knowing the word back and forward, and yet they couldn't see it. Why couldn't they see it? Part of it was that they were listening to the traditions of men that made the power of God of no effect. But part of it was that they, their hearts were stone hard. They had hearts of stone instead of hearts of flesh. They were not teachable. They rejected it, and they wanted to kill him. We are supposed to be teachable. We're supposed to read the word, and, we're just, and we want to learn from it. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And finally, the third qualification is trembling at God's word. Trembling at God's word means when we read God's word, we learn something about God, and we treasure what we've read, or we or we read a promise and we know that this promise will surely be fulfilled because God watches over the, his word to perform it. We tremble, you know, every word of God is, I mean, it either lifts us up or it explains the nature of God or it reveals a promise to us or enables us to walk in the identity and the authority of Christ or it does something to us. And God loves the whole world. It says for, you know, I mean, that in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. And it says also that God loves us with the same love that, that he loved Jesus. But this is more exclusive because it says in Isaiah 66, 2, this is the one I will esteem. In other words, not everybody, we all get the love of God, but not all of us get the esteem of God. And the esteem of God is earned by being humble and contrite in spirit and trembling at his word. So humility is an attitude of the heart. And um, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, the son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You know, I was... Um, I just want to say this before the ironic blessing. Um, when Jesus came and the disciples were in the upper room and he said, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter said, well, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And then Jesus said, well, the feet are sufficient. Well, Peter's feet and the other, you know, their, their feet were washed. But... Um, I want to say that uh, God washes us <laughs> through the blood of Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't want just wash our feet. He washes our spirit. And he washes our soul. And also, I want to tell you that um, I just, um, if I can find, oh, I just want to read this, this verse to you, which is, uh, I love this verse. And so, oops, if I can. Oh, maybe it's not right there. Okay. So, in, um, in Psalm 51.7, you know, David realizes through the prophet Nathan that, that he had done a terrible sin. And, of course, David loved God, but David messed up, you know. And then he says, purge me with hyssop, or purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Cleanse me, and I will be whiter than snow. And um, we all have, we all sin from time to time. That's um, we're getting better, hopefully. But but um, so we can't say, "Oh, look at David," you know, "Boo, David." <laughs> I mean, all, I mean, we have. I mean, we can all stand, understand where he's coming from, and one sin is not necessarily cleaner than another sin. But, but when he said purify me with hyssop, you know, Derek Prince, who used to be a great teacher, um, he said that hyssop really represented the Holy Spirit 
because when they painted the doors of Passover, you know, the lintels, they had to dip the hyssop in the blood of the lamb, the perfect lamb, and they, and um, so hyssop is the Holy Spirit. They didn't, David didn't have the blood of Jesus when he wrote this, but he did have the hyssop, which represented the Holy Spirit. And it was always God that, that, uh, that purifies us and cleanses us. And when we look outside, even today, and we look at the snow and we say, wow, you know, if you could find some fresh snow and uh, you look at it in the bright sun, and it is white, white, white. I mean, it is whiter than anything else you can find. But I want to tell you that there's one thing whiter than that snow, and that's us because we've been purified by the blood of Jesus. So I just want to do the ceramic blessing. If I... If I'm not perfectly fluid, then. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'ar Adonai panav alecha nechunecha. Yisar Adonai panav alecha v'simlecha shalom. Oops. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. Jesus, peace. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what he wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming. Keep praying and simply obey because God is good and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.